Well, good morning. It's always a delight to be with you. Uh, I do fill in at uh, various churches, and a lot of them are in East Texas. So uh, usually when I get an email from Larry, I say, Richardson. That's, that's a, lot, a, lot, a lot closer than Tyler or Longview or something like that. So when you, when you do uh, guest speaking, it's always an encouraging when you get the first invitation. But what's even more encouraging is when a church invites you back. So again, you all are, are special people, and I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be here. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, indeed, we are privileged people, and we love you, and we love your word. And again, in, on many occasions, we feel like that we're just uh, scratching the surface. And today, we do ask that your spirit would be in our midst, and that we would uh, get into your word, and also it would not just make us smarter sinners, but help it to change our lives and give us a renewed appreciation of you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're like uh, uh, me, there's many times when I'm studying the scripture and I run across a passage, and let's see how many honest people here, or let's see how many uh, awake people are. Uh, if, in, in reading and studying the Bible, how many of you have found passages that just sometimes at first, at, at, at face value, just doesn't seem right or you don't quite understand it? You know, okay, I, I, there's a few honest people here. So there are things that we look at and... The, the, the neat thing about the scriptures is I think we can study them for the rest of our lives and not really have the complete uh, appreciation of them. That's the good thing about eternity is we can, we can know God and we can also study uh, God's word. Uh, this morning I'd like for us to look at a, a passage uh, in uh, the gospel according to Matthew. And so if you do, uh, I'm getting to where... I say take your Bibles and also your smart devices or whatever electronic device you have. Uh, take your, your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew. The Gospel according to Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament, and it's really easy to find. We see in Matthew's Gospel, uh, first of all, Matthew was a Jew. And so you get a very Jewish perspective when you're looking into the Gospel according to Matthew. He's a former tax collector. And uh, in Mark and Luke's gospel account, uh, you see him uh, called Levi. So when you see Levi, just think uh, not of genes, but think uh, that's also a reference to Matthew. Also, in Matthew's presentation, we see Matthew presents Jesus as the promised Messiah uh, to the Jewish nation. As uh, uh, Pastor Carl mentioned, we have various uh, translations here. But uh, if you look with me at Matthew 1.1, I'm using the New American Standard, and I enjoy the way they present uh, certain things. But if you look in, in Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, uh, there's, a, there's a real key to the whole gospel there when you look at the first verse of Matthew's gospel. Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, uh, Matthew writes, uh, the record of the genealogy of Jesus. The New American Standard has the Messiah. Yours may have Christ. The Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, anytime you read or anytime you say Jesus Christ, what you're saying is Jesus is the Messiah. The word there in the Greek is Christos, and that means the anointed one. He's the promised one from the Old Testament. And so Matthew is, is, is pointing this out and, and showing this to his audience. Flip down uh, in the chapter to uh, verse 18 of Matthew 1. 
After uh, giving the genealogy, Matthew writes, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. Again, he's using Christos there. He's saying, now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, is as follows. And so Matthew gives us the conception of birth. In chapter 2, uh, there's the visit of the Magi, and then we see uh, things happening. And also, uh, Jesus, uh, there, there's a break in his life. There, there are certain, certain people that claim to know what happened. The scriptures uh, tell us about his birth and conception in early years. And then we, we know that he visited the temple at age 12. But from like age 12 to around uh, age early 30s, there's a gap. We don't, know ex we don't know what was going on at that time, but he did begin his ministry uh, in his 30s. And so uh, Matthew, if you flip over a little bit to Matthew chapter 4, we see what happens uh, with his ministry is uh, Jesus, as the promised Messiah of the New Testament, he begins his public ministry. And there's a real, uh, there's, there's several key verses I want to point out to you, but one of them is Matthew 4.17. And again, this is from the New American Standard. Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I don't know what your version says. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is near. What he's doing is, see, Matthew has presented that Jesus is the rightful Messiah and showing that, again, he, has, he is the rightful king of Israel. He's the rightful king to sit on the throne of David. So, so Matthew is presenting all this, and Jesus, when he begins his preaching, he is saying, I am the Messiah. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near or is at hand. I am the king. I am the promised Messiah. So again, uh, people, and, and, and in fact, uh, you may run into this, uh, Chris, it blows my mind when people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. I thought, have you read the New Testament? Have you seen certain verses that just jump in your face? So Jesus is proclaiming to be the Messiah. And he's not only doing it by words, he's backing it up. He's doing miracles. He's, he's demonstrating that he is the rightful Messiah. So again, as we, we go through Matthew's presentation, uh, we see that he does begin his ministry. And usually, I've got a friend that's an evangelist. He wonders why there's spiritual warfare uh, when he shares the gospel. I said, if you are sharing the gospel and not experiencing spiritual warfare, something's wrong. Because Jesus faced opposition also. As he began his ministry, he, he, he faced op opposition from the religious leaders in Jerusalem. It'd be kind of like, you know, Austin is, is our seat of power in, uh, in, in Texas. And we have a seat of power in Washington also. But see, uh, with G in Jesus' day, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees uh, and the Sadducees, they would come up uh, to where Jesus was because most of his ministry occurred in the northern part of, uh, of uh, uh, Israel. It was uh, around the Sea of Galilee. So again, he, he, he would have this opposition. And there's another great turning point that Matthew allows us to see. In fact, I can't take credit for this. Uh, Dr. Dwight Pentecost uh, gave me the key to learning uh, there's a pivotal point in the gospel according to Matthew. And this, this occurs in chapter 12. So flip over to chapter 12. Again, Jesus is, is uh, he, he's begun his ministry. He's active in his ministry. But, but you, something major is going to happen. And you, you see in Matthew 12, and let's look at uh, verses uh, 24 of Matthew 12 with uh, what's happening here. Matthew 12, 24. But when the Pharisees heard this, 
they were saying, and again, notice, notice what's happened. Look, look up in verse 23, I guess, to be fair. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? The crowds are starting to pick based on what Jesus is doing. Could, could this be the Messiah? They're starting to wonder. And notice what happens, uh, particularly in verse 24 of uh, Matthew 12. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. What they did is they accused Jesus' power and Jesus' ability behind his miracles to Satan. That's what the, the religious leaders at the time did. So there's a pivotal, pivotal point that occurs in Matthew, and Jesus continues his ministry, but he adds something to it that we're going to be looking at. Uh, he adds parables. Parables are introduced. So after the Jewish leaders of his day attribute his miraculous works to the devil, the Lord Jesus begins speaking to his disciples and to the crowds in parables. And you, you probably have uh, heard uh, Pastor Carl or other people speak about parables. Parables are illustrations. They're, they're involving comparisons. They teach a crucial spiritual truth. And notice how Jesus uses is like. You see that a lot. That's a comparative. Uh, that's an illustration, is like. So Jesus taught many parables uh, from uh, about everyday life. And again, everything he taught, even though he was speaking to a first century audience, we can find application today. There are, there, there's there's, a, there's a, a central truth that we can find in the parables, and it's applicable uh, to us in the 21st century. So again, now flip over to Matthew 20. You're in, you're in uh, Matthew 12. Flip over to Matthew 20, and uh, we'll look at this uh, parable called the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Matthew chapter 20. Let's begin together in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? Verse 7. They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. Verse 9. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to this last man the, th the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is, it, is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? Verse 16. 
So the last shall be first, and the first last. Now again, when you first look at this, you think, doesn't it sound a little bit unfair? I mean, can't you, I mean, we're, uh, justice is, a, is a, a biblical term, but we're, we're kind of Americans, and we, we, we think about unfairness. But again, one crucial thing, there's a main theme in this passage, one crucial theme, this is, Jesus is not talking about labor management relationships. Make sure you understand that's, that's not the key to this passage. He's talking about uh, the greatness, the, uh, the, 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 the really generous grace of God that uh, uh, the Lord has, has given in so many ways. So again, flip back again uh, to Matthew 20, and let's look at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, uh, I don't know what your, your version says, or master of the house, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers. Now again, I know some of you are, are obsessive compulsive, some of you are, are workaholics, but the average day in the first century was 12 hours, uh, especially for field workers. It started at 6 in the morning and it went until 6 at night. So again, uh, this is what's happening. I don't know whether you, uh, there's something like this similar uh, in Richardson, but down near Dallas Seminary, there's a, a place that people go when they're looking for work. Day laborers, uh, usually it's construction. And they don't have, I mean, they, they don't know whether they're going to work, get work for the day or not, but they show up. And this is what's happening here. The marketplace was a place of bargaining. It was also a place where people uh, went to get hired. And first century workers, especially field workers, uh, were men. I know in the book of Ruth, uh, we, we have a situation where the, the ladies were gathering, but uh, primarily it's men. And as we see here, as we, we, we go deeper in this, we can see that Jesus is illustrating that the landowner here is God. We can see that application already. And again, we've got to realize that these day laborers, they needed uh, money at the end of the day in order to buy food for their family that night. They, they were just that poor. Uh, many people don't realize how rich we are, we are but uh, Dr. Don Sanukian uh, at Dallas Seminary during chapel one time, he made us all realize that we're all rich uh, compared to the first century. And he defined it in two ways. First of all, if you have enough food in your cupboard right now to cover your whole day, you're rich. Also, if you have more than one change of clothing, you're rich. Because many times these laborers had to wash their clothes at night and they dried overnight and they wore them again the same day. So again, we see there's a vast difference. Look at verse uh, 2 of Matthew 20. When he had, uh, this is the landowner, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them out to the vineyard. Now a denarius, many of you may have seen it, it was a, a silver a Roman coin uh, worth about 18 cents. Now some of you think, 18 cents a day? I don't know about you, I guess I'm showing my age. My father told me in the 30s he worked for 50 cents a day. Did, 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 have you heard that from your father or your grandfather? Uh, th that, again, was a common, uh, this was common payment. This was a fair payment for a day's work. Uh, uh, field labor received that, and also a, a Roman soldier received an, a, a denarius for the day. So again, he, he's being fair. He's, this, this is the common, common wage. It would be approximately $60, I guess, in today's money. That's, that's what they're, they're earning. Look at verse 3. And he went out about the third hour. Again, so if the day begins at 6 a.m., the third hour is 9 a.m. 
and he saw others standing idle. They were unemployed or looking for work in the marketplace, uh, verse 4. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. Notice here that no wage was stipulated uh, to this second group. He, again, he, he had a bargain between the first group, but there was uh, no wage uh, stipulated. And since they weren't starting at 6 a.m., they were starting uh, later than that, they probably normally thought they wouldn't receive a full denarius. They wouldn't receive a full day's wages. Look at verse 5. Again, he went out about the sixth hour, which is noon, and about the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. Again, the day is going to end at 6 p.m. and did the same thing. And notice, again, as Jesus brings this home uh, in verse 6, and about the 11th hour, again, if the 12th hour is 6 p.m. and the day ends, the 11th hour is 5 p.m. And he went out and found others standing around and said to them, Why have you been standing idle all day, all day long? And again, notice what happens. And they said to him in verse 7, Because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard also. So again, these, these folks are, are, are going in for an hour's work. That's basically what they have in mind. And look at verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last. And again, in the Greek, that's eschatos. Have you, have you, have you ever heard of eschatology? the last things. So that's the word. So he says, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. Now again, had, had, uh, had Jesus decided to pay the last group hired, uh, I mean, he, he, he decided to, had he decided to pay the first group hired, there would be no, no story. There would be no, no parable. But again, he, he, uh, in this instance, he chose the last group. And the law of Moses, again, prescribed that day laborers are to be paid at the end of the day, again, because they needed money to buy food for their family that very day. So, again, that's, that's crucial in understanding this. Notice in verse 13. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong, and I am not treating you justly. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? And, again, the, the landowner, he bargained. He, uh, there, there was an understanding, there, there was an oral contract uh, with what happened, but we see that uh, there is disagreement in what's going on. And uh, you, you can see uh, that, that there, there's a misunderstanding already starting. Uh, notice in verse uh, 14, he says, Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to the last man the same as, as you. Verse 15, Is not lawful or proper for me? to do what I wish with what is my own? Or have your eye become envious because I'm generous? So again, you can see there's jealousy because Jesus paid the workers that worked one hour, that worked three hours, that worked six hours and nine hours. He, he, uh, he paid them the same as those that worked the entire 11-hour, uh, uh, excuse me, 12-hour period. So you can see that there's, there's a conflict built into uh, the, uh, the story here. And, and, and again, there, there's, there's, there's grumbling. So we, we see uh, here, it's crucial to understand the, the passage that the landowner here is being very gracious. He's being very, very generous. And we see what, what's happened 
in, in, this, uh, uh, in this instance. So again, Jesus says, take what is yours and go, but if I wish to give to this last, last man the same in view, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Again, this uh, particular parable is an illustration of the graciousness, the generosity of God. As I mentioned, we're only scratching the surface. Uh, Melanie has a handout for us that's going to let us look at some more applications from this particular passage. And again, we are just scratching the surface on this. There is so much, in fact, uh, when I first did this study, uh, I came up with at least 20 applications, and I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm really doing it justice. But again, this, this whole parable is just rich with the truths of how God has been gracious and generous to all of us. First of all, as we look at this and, and make some applications from the first century to the 21st century, Uh, an overwhelming or just a general principle about this passage and also about uh, many uh, instances in Jesus' teaching is even when a passage appears to be very simple, do not turn your mind off to its profound truth. Uh, Sometimes we look at this and we say, well, you know, okay, I don't understand this, but there's much more. Uh, Again, we, we can go deeper. Number two, some believers maintain this, ma- this passage is about rewards. Those who believe it, uh, it speaks of rewards, uh, believe that it's an instruction of what the Lord states in Matthew 19, 28 to 30. Flip back uh, to Ma- Matthew 19, 28 to 30. And really, verse uh, uh, 27, it's talking about the disciples' reward when, when Peter says in verse 27, Then Peter said to Jesus, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the generation, excuse me, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Again, you can see the theme going on. So again, some people think this is uh, in relation to rewards. Other people think it's in relation to salvation. But whether rewards or salvation, it's definitely, you can see the overwhelming theme about the grace of God. Uh, Look at number three. Entrance into God's kingdom is by grace alone. you may encounter people that think uh, there's a works aspect. We do not add to the gospel. Again, the gospel is gracious. John 1.12 says, as many as received him. And we receive Jesus Christ just as a gift. So again, we see that the uh, interest into God's kingdom is by grace alone. Uh, grace is sometimes defined as unmerited favor. Uh, God's grace goes beyond our understanding. It's the very nature of God who is defined as love to pour out his love upon his people in a way and a measure that is both undeserved and unexpected. I don't know about you, but what I, I uh, in fact, a, a friend of mine uh, said this. I'm, I'm a single guy, but uh, before he was uh, married, he was praying for his wife. And he said, uh, God, don't give me the kind of woman I deserve. Give me a blessing. So, again, even in marriage, uh, we desire the grace of God. 
So we, we see here that uh, the landowner had the resources to be gracious. God has the resources to be gracious. And he also he has the, the right to do as he wishes, even though we may question him. And most of all, uh, he had a loving nature that sought to reach out to all that he could in bestowing blessings upon them. Number four, uh, Jesus teaches that God deals with us on the basis of his grace and not on works. Uh, if you'll keep your, uh, your hands there and flip over to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. It's uh, a very profound uh, a verse about grace. In fact, it helps us understand uh, the gospel that we present. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Uh, Paul writes, he says, For by grace, again, unmerited favor, you have been saved through faith. Again, we're not doing anything to receive this salvation. And that not of yourselves. It's nothing we do. It is what a gift of God. You don't earn a gift. A, a gift is freely received. And again, he emphasizes that truth in verse 9. Paul says, not as a result of works. Again, it's almost like saying it's, it's by grace. In case you didn't understand it, it's by grace. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Wouldn't, wouldn't uh, heaven be a sad place if we were all walking around bragging about what we did down here to get in? So I don't know about you guys. I've been to 200 churches. Have you been to 200 churches? And I don't know about you guys, but I've, you know, I've read this many books of the Bible. See, again, we, heaven's not a brag fest. It's by grace that we're there. And again, as I, one of the themes of the service today is we want to give glory to God for being gracious and also just, just for being the kind and loving God that he is. Look at number, uh, number five on your sheet. The parable concerns God and his free grace. It should therefore produce respect and appreciation for God's freedom to be gracious to us without our grumbling over the grace that he extends to others. You notice uh, in, in the parable, they, they were jealous. They had the evil eye toward those that didn't work as much. And again, God has been gracious to us in many ways, so we, we, are, we should not be jealous of how he has been gracious uh, to other people. Number six, the grace of God does not defraud anyone of anything. No one earns the grace of God. That any of these had a job was evidence for his grace. And again, that we have enough food in our cupboards right now to probably last us for weeks is the grace of God. That we have more than one change of clothing is the grace of God in our lives. The grace of God does not defraud anyone of, of, of anything. No one earns the grace of God. And number seven, God's grace cannot be earned. It is freely given according to human need. Number eight, God's grace is not bestowed on a merit system. God's grace is given on the basis of an overflowing love out of a free and generous heart, the free and generous heart of God. Number nine, as Martin Luther once wrote, blessings at times come to us through our labors and at times without our laborers, but never because of our laborers. For God always gives them because of his undeserved mercy. And then finally, appreciate the freedom 
of God to be gracious. Again, we are not judging God in any way. We're just accepting and, and experiencing the great privileges that he's given us. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for not realizing how gracious you have been to us. We many times forget the grace and the gift and complain and, and grumble as these uh, men did in this parable. Also forgive us for comparing our blessings and status in life to others. And also we thank you for the ultimate measure of grace you've given us, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that not only forgave our sins, but provided an eternal relationship, eternal life with you. It's in his gracious name that we pray this. Amen.